You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Uh, As I announced last week, uh, we're going to take a break from studying the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to do a short sermon series uh, through four different psalms to focus on the season of Advent. Uh, Now, Baptists often have a variety of different feelings towards Advent. Uh, Some have no idea what it is. Uh, Others kind of have a a vague understanding of it, but consider it to be more of a Catholic tradition, not a Protestant evangelical uh, tradition. But Advent, uh, as a tradition, it dates back to at least the year 380 A.D., Uh, There are documents that go all the way back to the 4th century uh, that encouraged congregations to set aside some extra time for a special season of worship uh, during the, the weeks leading up to Christmas. So Advent is a tradition that's over 1,600 years old, far longer than the Roman Catholic Church as we know it today, and far, far longer than any Protestant denomination. But if you're not familiar with this tradition, uh, or if your church didn't you know, celebrate Advent, the church that you, you grew up in, um, Advent, it comes from the Latin meaning coming or arrival. Uh, and, and the season of Advent has a, a twofold purpose. Uh, in the, the four Sundays that precede Christmas, Advent is intended to remind you of the first coming of Christ as he was born in a manger and as he came to live a perfect and holy life on earth so that he could die for your sins. Uh, but, but Advent is also intended to remind you of the eventual second coming of Christ as well. And that reality that just as he came before, so too one day will he come to be with his people yet again. So so we're going to join in this tradition that has been celebrated throughout the centuries. Uh, And each week we're going to focus on a different Advent theme as we light each of the different Advent candles. Um, I've chosen four different psalms, uh, each one that embodies one of the the themes of the Advent season. Uh, So today, we're going to look at a psalm of hope. Uh, Next week, Josh Thrower will actually be here, and he's going to look at a psalm uh, about peace. And then we'll look at a psalm of joy, and finally a psalm of love. And as we look at each of those themes, we're going to see how they ultimately find their fulfillment in the arrival of Christ. So let me start by reading our psalm for this morning. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 22, says, I shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. 
play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the Lord whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. When you think about the overarching narrative of the Bible, it really is a massive story. It's a story that takes 66 books spread across multiple languages and multiple centuries written by a small army of different authors uh, to, to fully communicate this story from beginning to end. And because it is such a massive tale to tell, uh, there are relatively few books of the Bible, let alone individual chapters or verses, that can adequately summarize such a large narrative. But... Psalm 33 is one of those passages. It tells the entire story of human history in just these 22 verses. From creation to redemption to the final restoration of all creation. And as it does, the driving push behind each and every verse here is that reminder of the hope that is found in the Lord's steadfast love. The, the, the final verses of this text, I think, do a great job at encapsulating the message of this psalm. Verse 20 says that the Lord is, uh, that he is our help. 
verse 22 says that, you know, the Lord's love, that it will be upon us as we hope in him. So, so the psalmist is urging you to hope in the help that can only come from the Lord. So, so as we think about Advent and the coming of Christ, let me offer you this morning four reasons to hope in the help of the Lord this Christmas season. Have hope because you know the Lord's character and because you know that the Lord is in control. And have hope because you know that the Lord sees and because you know the Lord saves. So so first, have hope because you know the Lord's character. Look look back with me at the opening lines of this text, verses 1 through 5. It says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And and then listen carefully there to to verses 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So this psalm begins with a command. The first three verses there, you're told to shout and sing and to give thanks to the Lord, to make melody to him with musical instruments. But there are... Uh, there, there is a reason for this command. You don't just worship a narcissistic God with a hungry ego. The, the reasons for you to shout and sing are found there in verses 4 and 5. And they are rooted in the Lord's own character. It says that the, the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The the, the God of this universe is not merely uh, a God who is righteous and just. He, He is a God who loves righteousness and who loves justice. And and you don't have to look far for proof that this is true because this psalm says that the whole earth is full of examples of his love. And the psalmist himself even gives two examples from this text, both the word of the Lord and his works. You, You can see the loving character of the Lord displayed through his word, knowing that that he did not desire for you to go throughout life without written guidance from him. He didn't want to leave you in the dark 
So as Psalm 119 so adequately and and eloquently explains, he, he gave you his word to act as a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It doesn't always shine a light on every question you may want answered, but it is fully sufficient to keep you from stumbling over all of the obstacles that, that litter this dark world. And the strength and the encouragement that comes from God's word provides a testament to his character, as are the, the works of God. The, the works of God give you a testament to his character just as his word but particularly the work of Christ on the cross. God's character is not just displayed in word only, but in deed as well. He he loved you to such an extent that, that he willingly laid down his life so that you and I might have eternal life. And so seeing the the Lord's character revealed through his word and his works, that should be cause for hope and cause for shouts of joy. Because as the psalmist here writes, praise befits the upright. That the upright word of the Lord has made your own heart upright and praise is a befitting response to how the the character of God has transformed your own character and life. So secondly, though, this morning, uh, we, we see not just that you should have hope because of the Lord's character, but you should also have hope because you know that the Lord is in control. Look down at verses 6 through 9 with me. The psalmist writes, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. So you're told here that just by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. That's the kind of God who made this universe. He's the kind of God who just opens his mouth and stars come out. He's the kind of God who can breathe galaxies into existence. And his voice not only created the universe, but it continues to sustain the universe as well. Everything in this world is under his control. Look at verse 7 again. The the psalmist writes there that that he gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in the storehouses. There's a double meaning implied in the words that are written here. 
The, the language that the psalmist is using uh, is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, when, when the Lord was creating the heavens and the earth. God gathered together all the waters of the sea into one place in order to make dry land appear. So so these words give credit to the Lord as a creator. But, But that same language is also used in later passages of Scripture to describe how the Lord miraculously parted the sea to allow the Israelites to cross on dry ground safely to the other shores on the way to the promised land. God piled up the waters on either side of his people so that they could walk across to the other shore. So so the language implied in the psalm not, not only gives credit to the Lord as creator, but it also shows him as the ultimate sustainer, continually providing a path forward for his people. So because he created the universe, because he sustains the universe, you can have hope in the Lord because you know that he is in full control of all creation. This is why the psalmist is able to go on and write, starting there in verse 10, that the Lord brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Bless the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The the nations can elect councils. The, The nations can devise plans. But but unless those plans align with the eternal decrees of the Lord, all of the schemes that that come from the lips of man will ultimately be but wasted breath. The the Lord can, can simply open his mouth and the universe is set into motion and the words of a thousand kings or presidents or politicians can never undo what he has said. But, but not every effort of man will be brought to nothing. Not, not every plan will be frustrated. That there is hope in verse 12, understanding that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Because he is in control of all creation, the Lord chose for himself a people to be his heritage, a nation who will be blessed because he is their Lord. Now, you you may be tempted to to wonder how you, you create this nation that the psalmist is speaking of. Who do you have to elect into office to bring our nation closer to being a country whose God is the Lord? Uh, what, what legislation do you have to see passed in order for you know, the United States to become the Lord's chosen heritage? But, but this, this passage is not speaking about that. It, it's speaking much 
deeper than just politics. This verse goes beyond just speaking of the temporal nations that that come and go on this earth in the blink of an eye. On our side of the cross of Jesus Christ, this passage is speaking to you about a new kingdom that has been established. A new people that has been chosen. It's as the Apostle Paul reminds you in Philippians chapter 3, if you have announced your allegiance to Christ, if he is your king, then your citizenship is in heaven. Though you live down here, your passport says that you are from up there. You may reside in this world but, but you are no longer of this world. You are just a pilgrim passing through, headed towards your heavenly home. You are a part of this new people and a part of this new nation that the Lord has created through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so you can have hope because you know that the Lord created you, and that it is the Lord who sustains you, and it is the Lord who chose you to be a part of his heritage. You can have hope because you know that it is the Lord who is ultimately in control. So so have hope because you know the Lord's character and because you know that he is in control Third, have hope because you know that the Lord sees. He he sees you. And because of that, he knows you and he understands the difficulties that you face. Look with me to verses 13 through 15. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So so the psalmist notes that the Lord looks down from heaven and that he sees all the children of man. And he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth and he observes all their deeds. It is clear from this psalm that the Lord did did not make man only to turn his back on him and walk away. The same God who fashioned the rest of creation also fashioned the very hearts of each and every human. And he continues to watch over creation as a mother bird watching over her nest. And he pays particular attention to those who have placed their hope in him. That's why the psalmist continues in verse 18, saying, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. I I know that some of you have struggled through 2020. This year has brought... For some, 
uh, a season of loneliness and isolation. Uh, many of you have had to deal with a lot of frustration this year. And, and if that is you, then, then you need to hear this morning that the Lord sees those struggles. He, he understands your plight and your continued perseverance in the midst of those difficulties, it has not gone unnoticed. The, the Lord sees. I, I suspect that there are some of you here this morning who feel like you have been hurt and wounded by others. People have taken advantage of you. Maybe somebody has betrayed your trust. There are injustices in your life that you feel uh, remain open like a wound. And you also need to hear this message this morning that the Lord also sees you. You, you may not see justice served in this life, but know that it has not gone unobserved. The Lord sees and he knows what is going on. I also suspect that there are some of you here this morning uh, that, that have grown weary and tired of this year uh, and have begun to, to give up. Your, your usual uh, rhythms of life have been disrupted and maybe you've slipped back into some old habits uh, you, you haven't persevered through the difficulties that you faced, and now you, you find yourself living in unrepentant sin. Well, you as well need to hear that same message this morning, that the Lord sees you too. He may not be punishing you here in this moment, but he knows what you are doing. That the eye of the Lord is on all and particularly on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. So, so you have hope because you know the Lord's character and that he is in control. Uh, you have hope because you know that the Lord sees. Lastly, this morning, have hope because you know the Lord also saves. He not only sees, but he also saves. Look with me at the remaining verses of this psalm. I'm going to start back there at, at verse 18. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Uh, uh, yeah, behold, the, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who put hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our hope and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Notice here, that the Lord does not merely see those who put hope in him. Rather, he sees in order that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive. A God who, who sees 
but does not act as either a God who is incredibly weak or a God who himself is just as wicked and uncaring as the enemy. And in neither of those kinds of God could hope ever be found. The source of your hope this Christmas season, and really in every other season of your life, should be the steadfast love of the Lord who is able to deliver your soul from sin. He doesn't just see you. He is a God who is able to save you. It's as this psalm reminds you, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false salvation or false hope for salvation. By its great might, it cannot rescue. At the end of the day, political strength and military might of the nations will, will all pass away. But it's the strength of the Lord's steadfast love that will remain. So if you want to see the greatest show of force ever displayed on this earth, don't look to any military base. It won't be found in any aircraft carrier or inside any missile silo. To see the greatest show of strength, you must look to that manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You must look to the strength and the discipline that it took for the God of creation to step inside that creation as he humbled himself, taking on the flesh of a newborn babe. Everything else in the world is a false hope for salvation. But in the coming of Christ, you can have hope. I know that that the season of Christmas, for some, it it can bring uh, about mixed feelings. You know, there there are some who obsess over the holidays and they they plan for the Christmas season all year long. Uh, I know my wife is is always ready uh, when that day comes where she uh, is allowed to play Christmas music in the house. Uh, where she can put up the Christmas decorations and start drinking the special holiday drinks at Starbucks. Uh, but, but there are some of you that, that never seem to, to find that, that same sense of joy that Christmas can bring to others. You know, you cross that threshold of Thanksgiving and suddenly it just seems like everybody is so caught up in this Christmas buying frenzy. And it seems like everybody has forgotten the real reason for the season. And you just feel like the holiday has been taken over by greedy corporate America. Or some of you, as you gather with friends and family during this time, it it's really just a, a sore reminder of loved ones who, who won't be gathering this time because they've passed away. Or particularly this year, you, you may not be looking forward to the Christmas season because of the coming realization that you may not even be able to gather with family or friends as you have in the past. 
But whatever your emotional state may be, as you head into the holidays, know that there is hope. You can celebrate. And you should celebrate because Christ has come. He has come to save. His death and his burial and his resurrection demonstrate not only the loving character of God, but his life is a reminder that he is still in control. And that not only did he see your desperate state of of your spiritual life, but he came in order that he might do something about it and to save you from your sin. And all of those realities provide more than enough reason to have hope in the Lord's help. You, you may or, or may not have, have noticed this, but there's a, a subtle shift at the very end of this psalm. The, the majority of this passage is written as a descriptive song of praise about God. But, but so caught up in that praise that the last verse of this psalm transforms into a direct prayer of thankfulness to God. Verse 22 says, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. May that be you this December. May, may you find such a hope and your heavenly Father, that, that you are, are moved away from, from passively singing about him and instead are driven in worship to cry out directly to him. Let me pray.